Amen. Good morning, Bayleaf Baptist Church. How are you doing today? Should be doing good after that. Amen. Let's pray as we prepare to worship the Lord through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of his word. Father, it is a joy to be with this people, the people of the church, to be reminded of who we are because of who you are and who you have called us to be in light of the image of your son. Thank you for these songs. Thank you for these remembrances and encouragements to us today. And now, as we turn to your word and worshiping you through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of your word, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would come. And he would do his illuminating work in us, that he would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds even more to the reality of who you are, revealing yourself to be through your word, and who you are calling us to be in the image of your son, Jesus. And Father, it's my prayer as always, that in this moment of preaching, that you would increase and I would decrease. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I feel like I should say on this day, maybe more than any other day because of the spiritual significance of it for our family and for this family of faith that Jordan and I, our family, are grateful to be here. It is an honor to serve as the pastor at Bayleaf Baptist Church and to knit our family to this family of faith to do ministry in the city of Raleigh and around the world for the glory of God. It's a humbling thing to consider when I look back to my first conversation with the search committee many months ago, how the Lord has brought us together, how he has sovereignly orchestrated this moment to continue the work together that he has given to the church thousands of years ago. I'm humbled to have Christian friends, pastors, and mentors like Pastor Marty and Rick and Carol Kallenberg and Dr. Stephen Trammell to speak words of encouragement to us as we begin or begin this official moment, our ministry together, our ministry journey together as a people of faith. And I was thinking this past week about what I would say today and how I would kind of characterize my desire to lead as the pastor and shepherd of this people. And I was reminded of the way that God used one of the people we heard from earlier in my life, Dr. Stephen Trammell, to pastor me and shepherd me. Stephen Trammell has been a friend, mentor, and source of encouragement to me, a pastor to me for almost 19 years. Half of my life has been affected by his love and care for me and my family. And it's amazing how in moments of panic, moments of distress, moments of uncertainty about how I should follow the Lord, God would use Stephen and the words of Stephen, specifically as he used the word of God to settle me and to to bring about peace in my life and to give direction to my life. Life. Perhaps you've had someone like that in your life, a, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother who has been a, a source of life, who's been refreshment to your soul in moments of need. And as I was thinking about the way that God used Stephen in my life, it kind of became a prayer for me about how I wish and how I hope God would use me in your life. I hope 
that God will allow me to be a source of blessing and encouragement to you as your pastor. I hope that the words that I offer on Sundays, the words that I offer in in counseling sessions one-on-one, at our, our lunches or events together, I hope in every encounter that we have, as your pastor and the people of this body, I pray the Lord would use to impart grace to you and impart peace to you, just as the Lord has used Stephen in my life. Because I believe that's what faithful shepherds are called to do. I believe that's what good pastors do. And I believe it's following in the example of the apostles as they shepherded, as they pastored the people of God, even in the early church. And and those moments of faithful pastoring and faithful shepherding ever since, they're just continuing the example of the New Testament of Jesus and those he has called out as apostles and then now those he's called out to be shepherds and pastors of the church. You think about Paul and the example of Paul. And it's appropriate that we're starting a letter today in the book of Colossians that was written by Paul. I think Paul is an example of this. In fact, at the beginning of his letter, he has a a prayer of blessing or an expression of desire that the words that he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would somehow be used by God to offer to the people in Colossae grace and peace. He's praying from the beginning that the words that I'm offering, that the, the advice, the counsel, the spiritual wisdom that I am giving to you as an apostle and someone who is concerned for your soul and wants to shepherd you into faithfulness, I'm praying that God would use these words to offer to you grace and peace, to remind you of the undeserved ways that God has blessed you, his grace and to help you live and set rightness, peace, restoration of relationship both with God and with others, overcoming the havoc of sin. And so Paul is just doing here in Colossians what faithful pastors do, just with the added spiritual authority of being an apostle. He wants the church in Colossae to mature in Christ, according to chapter 1, verse 28, to recognize the gift of being in Christ and walking in his power, and he's praying that God would use his words to help accomplish this purpose, that somehow God would use his words to impart grace and impart peace. And friends, I want you to know that every time I stand in this pulpit and every time you encounter me as a pastor, that is my desire as well, that and attaching my words to the word of God and the inspired word that he has recorded in this scripture, that in those moments of interaction as I speak to you, that God would impart grace and peace. Just as Paul desired in the book of Colossians. In fact, I think every time we sit before the word of God, there's a moment, an opportunity for us to experience the grace and peace of God. And I hope that as we move through the book of Colossians, you will see Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae extend to our church as well. And that through his words, we'll experience grace and peace. And the commitment, the belief is, as I attach my words to the inspired word of God, that I will offer 
and that we will experience as the peace of God, as the people of God, grace and peace as well. So let's begin today by looking at just the first eight verses of the book of Colossians and see how Paul's words are already going to be used to impart grace and peace to this church and grace and peace to us as well in the hope that we'll learn something, that I'll learn something as a pastor and you'll learn something as the people of God about how to allow God to use our words to continue to impart grace and peace to each other for the glory of God. Here's what the Bible says, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it has been bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, if you're familiar with letters in the New Testament, you'll know that this introduction to the book of Colossians is is pretty standard. You've got the person who's writing it, you've got the, the people to whom he is writing, and he offers a little blessing to them. But I want you to know that even though it's a standard introduction, there's nothing standard about it in terms of how God is going to use and wants to use these words in the light of the local church. Sometimes we, we get to sections like this or like genealogies in the Bible, and we want to skip past them to get to the good stuff. But friends, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Remember, every single word of the Bible is inspired by God for our benefit. And the introduction to Colossians is no exception. He, Paul is revealing his desire, his, his goal for this letter and what he desires to accomplish in the life of the church from the beginning. And in so doing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is revealing a desire from God and how God wants to continue to use the words of Scripture in our lives. These words, these inspired words of Paul, will be used by God to impart grace and impart peace into the life of the local church to strengthen them for the work that God has called them to. So can we look at that for a minute? How, how are Paul's words going to be used as a means of grace? And how are Paul's words going to be used as a means of peace in the life of the church? Let's consider how even in these first eight verses, Paul is already imparting grace, already imparting peace, so that we can learn from his example. Firstly, let's look at how Paul's words are a means of grace to his people how he strengthens them, how the Lord uses these words to strengthen the people for the gospel. Well, firstly, Paul's words are a means of grace because of how they point the church to the gospel, to the redemptive work 
of God, to the grace of God, the ultimate expression of the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus. Every single word of Paul's in the book of Colossians, and certainly in these first eight verses, is gospel-saturated. He wants Jesus to be exalted at every point in this book because Jesus is the greatest display of God's grace to us. His words are dripping with redemptive significance in order to glorify God and remind the people who has authored their salvation, who has brought them together as a people, and who now sustains them for their good. Listen, the foundation of this relationship between Paul and the church, the foundation of their relationship as a people, as a church, everything that is worthy of, condemn, of celebration, excuse me, in them as a people is tied to the word of truth, the gospel which has come to them and indeed the whole world and is bearing fruit among them according to verses 5 and 6. It is the gospel, the grace of God over them that is bearing fruit in them. And Paul is giving thanks to God for how this fruit is showing up in their church. Now think about this. Think about what Paul is giving thanks for as he thinks about the church. Verse 4, Paul says, I'm giving thanks to you. I'm giving thanks to God for you because of your faith. I'm giving thanks, verse 4 again, because of the love that you have for all the saints. I'm giving thanks because of the hope that you evidence, a hope that is laid up for you in heaven. But where did the faith come from? Where does this love come from? Who secured their hope? God did, right? It's because of God that they have faith. It's because of God that they have this kind of love. It's because of God that they have this hope. All of this is a work of God in Christ. It's the message of the gospel. This is all the result of God's grace. Everything that Paul is noticing here and is commending them from are simply evidences of the grace of God to them and reminders of God's grace. Because remember, friends, it is God who acted graciously to us in saving us by allowing us to see Jesus for all that he is and giving us the faith to believe in him. Right? That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace that you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. So it's God's grace that you see this faith, and it's God's grace that you see this love. Because it is the love of God shown to us in Jesus that allows us to love God and each other, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And the same thing is true of our hope. Our hope wasn't manifested in ourselves. It was authored by God according to Hebrews 6, 17 and 18 because God promised us an inheritance and gave us a guarantee for that future inheritance in Jesus Christ. So everything that is commendable, everything that is encouraging about the church is really a testimony to God and his grace among them. And as they are reminded of these activities of God within their church, 
the grace of God is imparted to them because it stirs them up and reminds them that God is still at work among them. God has graciously saved us, and even now, he is graciously sustaining us. And Paul's recognition of that and reminder of that is a gift. So that, number one, that we don't forget that we don't think God's given up on us, that he saved us and now no longer has anything to do with us. No, if there's anything commendable in us, if there's anything of God that's in us, it's because he's still actively working in us. And also, so that we don't give credit to the wrong place. Because occasionally, in our flesh, we can begin to think that the good things about us are the result of us. Right? We think the faith that we exhibit, man, that, that's from us. Or the love that we exhibit, that's just because we're good people. Or the hope that we have, that's just because we got it right. No, listen, friends. Any evidence of faith, hope, love, any evidence of anything of value in this body is all a testament to the continued grace of God. And we must remember that. These noticeable evidences are reminders to us that it is God who works in and through us for his glory. And the church needed to be reminded of that. The gospel is at work. God saves you, he forms you, he sustains you. Remember, friends, the gospel doesn't stop being good news once we are saved. It is still good news for us today. As Paul will say later in Colossians, as you received Jesus Christ, so walk in him. So we got to be reminded of how we received Jesus to walk in him. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's reminding them of how they've received Jesus, that the gospel is bearing fruit, and that's how they walk in him. That's what a faithful shepherd and pastor does. And Paul's doing that. He's, He's pointing them to the gospel. It's not your work, it's God's work. So rest in that. And then secondly... As he points them to the gospel, he reminds them of their new spiritual identity. That's another way that Paul's words are a means of grace, as he reminds them that they have been made new in Jesus. When we think about the gospel often, when we think about how God has shown us mercy and how he's loved us and how he's saved us in Christ, it helps us to think of ourselves differently to position ourselves rightly before a holy and righteous God because of his redemptive work. Paul points them to the gospel as a way to remind them of who they are now in Jesus. Don't think too much of yourself, but don't think too less of yourself either. Think of yourself rightly as God has spoken about you. Think about how Paul addresses the church as he writes his letter, right? He says in verse 2, that you are saints and faithful brothers. Saints, you're holy. You're set apart. You're faithful in that you are living lives of obedience to the will of God. You are a part of the family of God. You're brothers and sisters of of Paul and Timothy, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, the, the same Heavenly Father of Jesus Christ. These are things that are all true of you and all because you are in Christ. Now I want you to notice something about verse 2. As Paul is addressing the letter to whom he is writing, he'll, he'll typically say, here are the people, and he'll, he'll give a location for them, right? So to the church in Colossae, or to the, the churches in Ephesus. 
But he does something really interesting here in verse 2. He gives a, a primary position to their spiritual state over their physical state. Do you notice this? To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. What is he doing there? Well, again, there's no accident here. There's an intention here. Because he wants this church to remember that the most important identifier about them as a Christian is that they are in Christ. The most important thing about you, if you are a Christian, is that you are in Christ. Listen, we throw a lot of labels around. We can identify ourselves in a number of ways, right? Think about just me. Okay, so I, Jared, am from Louisiana. I have lived in Texas, and now I'm officially a North Carolinian because I spent three hours at the DMV two weeks ago and got my license. I endured for the glory of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. I'm a man. I'm a graduate. I'm sometimes a fan of LSU football. I'm a whole lot of things. But I want you to hear me this morning. The most important thing about me is that I'm in Christ. And the same is true for you, friends. We can throw a lot of labels around. But if you are a Christian, I want you to hear me. The most important thing about you is that you are in Christ. And you need to hear that. Why? Because there are so many blessings. There are The reality of your life is transformed when you step into Christ. Because in Christ, you're brought into the family of God. You're a child of the Most High, a brother or sister under the sonship of Jesus. In Christ, you are set apart as holy. And who in here has any business being called holy apart from receiving the righteousness of Jesus himself? In Christ, you are moved from an enemy of God to a friend, from condemned to redeemed, from a child of wrath to a child of God. You are new in Jesus. Praise be to God. And this is important for us to remember, friends, because we can forget. And we can let these other labels around us begin to have primary importance instead of secondary, under the lordship of Christ. And when that happens, we don't live in peace. We live in worry, or pieces. Testimony, brother. When we get imbalanced, when we have a flawed view of who we are in Christ, that's what helps us lose peace. And so Paul, as a faithful pastor, is reminding them, hey guys, listen, because of the gospel... Because of the grace of God, here's who you are now. And that reminder itself is a means of grace. To call them back to say, hey, what, the, what your neighbor said about you, what your friend said about you, what your boss said about you, what your community said about you, that's not what's most important. What's most important is what God says about you, and he says you're in Christ. So Paul reminds them as a means of grace through his words of the gospel, their new identity. And then his words themselves are a means of grace as they evidence God's provision for their spiritual care. 
for their spiritual care, that God is concerned about their spiritual well-being, their soul care, so much so that he's raised up some men to care for them. Another evidence of God's grace to the church is godly leadership. And Paul reminds them that his existence as an apostle is by the will of God and for the good of the church. Think about that. You know know the story of Paul, right? He was an enemy of the church. He was killing Christians until the Lord arrested him, stopped him on the road to Damascus, and blinded him to show him his own blindness. And Jesus called him out of that ministry of death to a ministry of life. Why? To advance the kingdom, to advance the gospel, to to provide encouragement to the churches that were being founded by the will of God. And Paul is saying, God raised me up. God called me out of that sin for your benefit to write you a letter like this. And he gave you people like Timothy, a brother, to encourage you. He gave you Epaphras, who actually founded the church in Colossae who was saved under the ministry of Paul in Acts chapter 19 when the gospel went throughout Asia. And even Epaphras' church is a gift to you because it was through him that you heard the gospel of truth. And he cares for you. And he came and he he told us about what's good and, and even some of the dangers that are threatening the church there in Colossae. He cared for you enough to come to me and I've been praying about what I should do and I care for you enough now to write you this letter. It is good, friends, to know that God has given us shepherds and leaders to love us, to care for our souls, to direct us back to God who pray for us, but not only pray, also act upon their prayers for the good of this people. See, Paul was praying, even though he had never met the church in Colossae. He was praying for them, and then in his prayers, God led him to write. And the words that he offers here are a means of grace and a means of peace. They're a means of grace, obviously, as he reminds them of the grace, but even their presence, even their The fact that they exist is a means of grace because it shows the church in Colossae that God's not given up on you. He's still providing people to care for your souls and help you walk in faithfulness. So, Paul's words, a means of grace and how he points them to the gospel, reminds them of their identity, and as he serves as a spiritual father for them, shepherd for them, but his words are also a means of peace. Because when we're reminded of what God has done for us, when we're overwhelmed by the way that God has dealt graciously with us, that helps us live in peace. When we're mindful of the grace of God and the work of the gospel, that allows us to live lives that are set right, I mean at peace, set right in shalom with God, and set right with each other. All because of the fact that we are in Christ. Our identity in Christ allows us to live in peace. And it it needs to remind us, the grace of God reminds us that we are in Christ, and that gives us confidence to live in peace. And Paul says, I'm noticing 
this peace showing up in your life in three ways. You're living in peace because here's what I see. I see faith, I see love, I see hope. Or I've heard about faith, love, and hope. And the fact that you're living in faith, the fact that you're living in love, the fact that you're living in hope is evidence of the fact that you're thinking about the grace of God and you're desiring to live in peace with both God and man. Here's the reality, guys. If you're a follower of Jesus, seeking to live in peace, set rightness with God and others, faith, love, hope, they're going to show up in your life. And Paul's saying, I see it. You've got a strong faith in Christ Jesus because of the grace of God. And now as a result, you're seeking to live in faith, to, to live in light of God's lordship or Christ's lordship in your life. I'm living in faith, allowing him to help me decide or how, how I can use everything he's given me to honor him. So I'm thinking differently about my job. I'm thinking differently about the money that God's entrusted to me. I'm thinking differently about my time and my, my talents because I want to live in faith, evidencing that everything that I do, I want to honor the Lord with because I want to live in a set right way with him. But I'm also noticing, Paul says, or hearing about a supernatural love that you have for the saints, not only for God, but also for others. And you're seeking to serve and, and sacrifice for each other, but also all the saints, not just your local church, but the entire church. And I'm also hearing about how you have a secure hope that even though everything's not right yet, you are longing for and placing your hope in the day when God will make everything right. He will make all things new. And regardless of what you lose right now, you're not going to waver from that ultimate hope because of your deep abiding trust in God. So Paul reminds them of grace, and then he points out how the grace of God is showing up in their lives in peace. And the same thing is true for us. See how this works. The more that we think about grace, the more that we're overcome by the gospel, the more that we can live in peace. Because that causes us to live lives of faith, lives of love, lives of hope, that set us right with God and with others. And even the words themselves are are a source of peace. Because they're saying, hey, listen, God's obviously at work in you. So rest in that. Rest in that. I'm, I'm noticing things that are not of you, but are of God. And one of the key desires that Paul writes about in terms of writing this letter is found in chapter 3, verse 15. When Paul says that one of his chief desires is that the peace of God would rule in the hearts of his people. And this is part of that desire as he writes to them that they would be arrested by the gospel, arrested by the grace of God, and let this peace rule in them, living lives of faith, love, and hope. And so, listen, guys, the same thing is true for us today. If we want to live lives, if we want to be a people characterized by grace and peace, then we need to be arrested by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, Seek to live lives that are committed to God and committed to others. Lives of faith, love, and hope. And this message was important to them because there was controversy and conflict brewing in Colossae. We'll talk about more later. There was some teaching going around that was going to threaten the foundation of this church and they needed to be strengthened to stand against this teaching. 
strengthened to remind them that they are in Christ and nothing can, can compare to that or compromise that so long as they are focused on the grace of God and live in his peace. And the same thing is true for us today. There are many things coming against the local church. There are many things that threaten the foundation of the church and we need to be reminded, reminded of who we are in Jesus and what we are called to do in life. We need, to be, we need to be overwhelmed by the grace of God to us and the fact that we are in Christ and live lives that reflect that. And friends, it is my desire as your pastor, week in and week out, to offer that kind of encouragement. To attach my words to the word of God in such a way that every time you leave, that you would feel overwhelmed by grace. And you would feel emboldened to live in peace. That you would be, be so moved by the life of Christ that you would seek to live lives of faith and love and hope, not only for the benefit of this people, but all people. And then it's my hope also that what we experience in this room would carry over into every part of our church. That every, every conversation we have, every every aspect of our lives would be defined by grace and peace. Can I encourage you in that way today? Can we, can we commit as a people to impart grace to each other through our words? Obviously, we can't do it in the same way as Paul. He was an apostle. None of us in here are writing scripture. But when we attach our words to the inspired word of God, then that's an opportunity for us and our words to become a means of grace to someone else. I hope that when you come in this room, and I hope that when you have any interaction with a, a member of this body, that, that when you have a moment of need, and that when you need wisdom, that you get godly wisdom and not human wisdom. That we're going to be committed to reminding each other of what God has said and what God has done. May, may we constantly as a people remind each other that God has saved us in Christ. That we didn't deserve that salvation. But he acted so incredibly and lovingly toward us to rescue us from our sin. May we remind each other often of our new and true identity in Jesus. That more importantly than anything, that we are saints. That we are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are children of God. That we are made new. I want our words, friends, to be gospel-saturated, dripping with redemptive significance because there is a unique encouragement for the people of God when that takes place. Let's impart grace to each other through our words. Let's build each other up. Let's, let's splash living water on each other as we speak the word of God to one another. And secondly, let's live in peace. As we are overwhelmed by the grace of God, as we are reminded of who we are in Christ, let's seek to live in that reality, in peace, in set rightness with God and with others. Lives of faith that seek to honor God with everything that we do 
and lives of supernatural love, selflessness, sacrifice for our church and the people around us. And let's commit to God-honoring hope that regardless of what it may cost us here, it's worth it because of what awaits us there. And then finally, let's see godly shepherds as a gift. I hope, it's my prayer, that you will see God's calling of me to this body as evidence of the fact that God's not finished with Bayleaf Baptist Church yet. That there was a season where Pastor Marty was called in this position. He did an amazing, faithful job. But now he's transitioning. God has called someone else in because God's still at work and God desires for you to have care for your souls. That God desires for you to have pastors and, and ministers who help and guide you into greater faithfulness. I hope the fact that you see all these men and women on our staff as evidences of God's care for you and, and, and love for you. And it's my prayer also that God would use me in the same way that God has used Stephen in my life, I'm sure Marty in your lives, that he used Paul in the life of the church at Colossae, that, that every time you sit, as I've said, with me in here and other places, that you would feel overwhelmed by grace and filled with peace. And that you would be reminded that the fact that I'm here is a fact that is an evidence of the fact that God loves you and cares for you and desires you to, to walk in faithfulness for, for there to be someone who is praying for you and, and wants to see the, the work of God push forward in your life. And this is true of every shepherd at this body, this church. That's what we desire and I, I hope you see that as a gift. And you know, Paul's going to do some things in here that are challenging. It may not be what they want to hear, but it's good for them because it ultimately points them back to Jesus. And I want you to live in peace. I want you to live in rightness with God and rightness with others. And that's going to be always my desire, friends. That's the heart this comes from. So I want you to hear from the beginning on this spiritual marker day, that is my desire to be used among you as Paul was used there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie my words to the words so that every time I speak, especially in this moment, that, that you will experience grace and peace from God our Father. And that we, as a people, will walk forward in faith, love, and hope. And can you imagine? Can you imagine the benefit of that for this city and the world if we, as a people, will embrace this kind of ministry. Not only in here, but that you would echo it for the glory of God and for our good. We're blessed to be a part of this people, aren't we? Yes. We're, best, we're blessed to be, a, to be in Christ. Amen. May we never forget it, and may we live in light of it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking God to help you know how to respond through the preached word. Let me ask you this question first. Are you in Christ? Yes. If you can't answer that way, if you don't know, if you, 
if you've never partaken of the blessings that are available to you in Christ, I want you to know, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be transferred from a child of wrath to a child of God through that spirit-given confession. Maybe you're, you're seeing that you don't know where you stand before a holy and righteous God and that you need to respond in faith today. Maybe you need to be overwhelmed by grace today. In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about Jesus and what he's done for you. For the rest of us, are we committed to becoming a people, even more so, of grace and peace? I'm making a commitment to you. That's going to be my desire as a pastor, as a shepherd. And I want that to flow in every part of our church. Will you have words filled with grace, pointing people to the gospel, reminding them of their identity in Jesus? That you would be a, a blessing to someone, providing the exact right moment and the exact right time, providing, providing encouragement words, encouraging words, as evidence of God's continued spiritual care for a person in need. And would we, overwhelmed by grace, commit to live in peace? Rightness with God and rightness with others. That we would live in faith, in love, in hope. And that we would stir each other into that for the glory of God. Father, help us become the people you've called us to be. Help me, Father, be the kind of pastor that I need to be for this body of believers. May our words be filled with grace and filled with peace. And would you use them to impart that to others? We pray in the name of Jesus.